Seven, uh, where we're at tonight, uh, Tower of Babel. Uh, <laughs> there's there's some interesting stuff about having this this uh, passage today. Uh, you know, you have a group of people; they all are in one place, and God's told them that they need to scatter and break up into smaller groups, and they won't do it. So God confuses their language. I, I kept thinking, man, I could I could really weave this into our three services deal, but that would probably be doing an injustice to the scriptures, and so I'm not going to do that. But I did think about it in Genesis chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city. In a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will be now impossible for them. Come, let us go down. And confused their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you for uh, this church family. I thank you, Father, for the fellowship and the agreement and the unity. And God, thank you for the the mutual encouragement. I thank you, Father, for our small group ministry that will take place here in in a few minutes, God, where we'll be able to uh, love one another in in each other's homes and um, encourage and pray for and build up and and talk scripture. And God, I just pray that... uh, that you would bless our fellowship, that you would help us to be fruitful. And and God, by being fruitful, that we would multiply. I pray, Lord, for uh, a multiplication in the first service. God, I pray for those uh, folks in that service that you would uh, stir them up this week. God, to bring people to their to their service. I pray for the, the new campus, Father, the second service. I pray for a, an evangelistic zeal there, God, to uh, show Christ uh, all week long and, and to bring people to the service. I pray for the, the 11 o'clock service, God. I pray for uh, a heart to, to share Christ with, with neighbors and friends and family, uh, to bring people to hear the Word of God. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to do all things well. God, we, we want to be great, God, not in the sense of us being great, but we want to be great for Christ. We want to be great in the plan of Jesus, in the proclamation of the gospel, in prayer, in the scriptures. God, we, we want to do those things to the glory of Jesus. God, you're better than anything. God, keep us from sin. Uh, Lord, I know that there are pitfalls that we're, uh, we're, we're prone to fall into, God. I know there are temptations and snares, God, that we probably don't even see. And Lord, I, I just pray that you would awaken our hearts to a great trust and a great yieldedness and a great uh, desire for the things of God. Lord, do great things in us. Please protect us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you remember uh, we looked at this uh, several times, actually once on a Sunday night, once uh, uh, in, in a Sunday morning, I believe. But uh, the first command uh, to the man and the woman after God makes them in the image of God and then puts them together is he says, okay, now be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Remember that? We go to Genesis chapter uh, 1, I think it is. 
uh, verse 28, right after verse 27, says God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. Uh, man, God's a blesser, isn't he? He's always blessing. We saw that this morning. And then God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And then he adds this part and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Then evil corrupts and then the world gets wicked. And in Genesis chapter 9, there's this huge catastrophic worldwide flood in which only one family in the entire world is saved. The family of Noah, they get off the boat. The waters recede. Actually, the waters recede first. Then they get off the boat. It'd been bad if it had been the other way around. And it says again, verse in chapter nine, verse one, God bless Noah. There he is again. He's blessed. Man, is he not a God of blessing? How can we ever doubt that? Right. God bless Noah and his sons. And he says to him again, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so this is a big deal to God. God has told his people several times. This is what I want you to do. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to be multiplied. I want you to fill the earth. I want you to spread across the earth. I want the image bearers of God to be all across the earth. Well, in Genesis chapter 11, the people decide we're not going to do that, okay? Or at least a large group of them. Probably not all of the people, but a large group of the people, as they're migrating, it says, from the east, they find a plain in the land of Shinar, and they all decide they're going to settle there, okay? Now, in verse 3, and I just, I love the little interesting nuances of the Bible, okay? And so look at verse 3. It says, and then they said to one another, okay? That caught my attention. Uh, Just because of this, notice they're not talking to God. They're not consulting God. Uh, There's there's no God in this whole conversation. You can read through this and they're not saying, you know what? God told us to do this or should we ask God or let's pray to God or we called on God. There's none of that. You know what there is? There's a lot of talk amongst themselves, okay? So they're saying to one another, got this idea and, and they start promoting this among one another. Come, let's make bricks. And let's, uh, let's burn them thoroughly. And they made brick for stone and bit them for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top into the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, remember what God told them to do? He said, I want you to fill the earth, okay? I want, I, want, I, want, I want people all over the earth. I want you to fill the earth. I want you to be hospitable. I want you to, to, to bring in the stranger. I want you to, 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 to procreate all over the earth. And they said, no, we don't want to do that. We're going to build a city. We're going to build a tower to heaven. We're going to make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed from the earth, okay? So, they're, they're not saying anything to God. They're not asking God about this. They're not consulting God. They, they, they're they're going to do their own thing, and their own thing is to make a name for themselves, okay? Now, they want to be great. Let, let's just kind of describe what that is. What, what are you doing when you want to make a name for yourselves? Well, you're wanting to be great. You're wanting to be revered. You want people to talk about your greatness, to admire you, to look, uh, look up to you. Uh, interestingly enough, does this ring a bell at all as far as what happened in Genesis 3? Remember, go back way back to the fall. Okay, what happens there? Let me read it to you. Uh, the serpent says, Eat for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be opened. You'll be like God. Okay, that's great, isn't it? When you're like God, you're great, knowing good and evil. And so the woman saw the tree, that it was good for food, a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate it. It's the same thing happening over again, okay? Adam and Eve in, in the garden said, You know what? We want to be independent from God. We're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to be like God. We're, we're, we're going we're to be equal with God. We're going to be a God. In Genesis chapter 11, they're not consulting. God, they're not obeying God, and they're saying, you know what, we're going to make a name for ourselves, we're going to be great on our own, okay, it's not a greatness in God, it's not a greatness for God, it's not a greatness in obedience to God, it is a greatness for self, and that is sin, it's called pride, you know what what that is, it's pride, okay, now let me ask you this question, because we don't want to get off track here in our thinking, but is there something wrong with wanting to be great, okay, let me ask it another way, is that always wrong, is it always wrong, it's not, 
It's not always, it's not always wrong, wrong to want to be great. In fact, if I could take you to a New Testament passage, you can go ahead and turn here if you would, because we're going to be here a little bit. Matthew chapter 10. No, Mark. Mark, sorry. Second gospel. Mark, Mark chapter 10, verse 35 and through 45. So let me, let me read you this story real quick as you're turning there. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I'm baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink... you will drink in the baptism which, uh, which with I am baptized. You will be baptized. But to sit in my right hand or my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it's been prepared. Okay, so let's stop right there. James and John are, uh, are approaching Jesus about positions of authority. They want to be great. They, they want to be great in the kingdom. They believe that Jesus is the king. They believe he's going to establish a kingdom. They believe he's going to reign in authority. They've seen what this man can do. They know that, that he has supernatural power. And they really believe, man, Jesus is going to be king. He's going to set up. They were thinking an earthly kingdom immediately. And so they come to Jesus. They say, look, we want to be great. We want to sit on your right hand and on your left. We want to be in positions of authority. Uh, we, we want to be great in your kingdom, okay? Uh, now, this makes the other disciples a little bit put out, okay? Now, Jesus tells them, hey, guys, do you even know what you're saying? Do you know what the cost is for being great in my kingdom? And James and John, of course, say, hey, we, we don't care what it is. We're going to pay the cost. But, but, but it makes the other disciples mad. And verse 41 says, when the turn heard of it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever be, would be first among you must be your slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Okay, so... So Jesus gives them a lesson on greatness. He says, okay, stop, guys. I know you want to be great. You all want to be great in my kingdom. You're mad at James and John because they beat you to the punchline and and got in there and asked me before you did. But he says, let me teach you about greatness, okay? Uh, Jesus defines greatness in a very particular way. Uh, First of all, he says, you know, the world has an idea about greatness. What is that? Well, he says in verse 42, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Okay, so what does it mean to be great in the world? It means your boss, right? It means you have authority. You tell other people what to do, okay? You're the one that's looked to as, as king or as, as, as lord. You're, you're the one that, that calls the shots. That's what it means to be great. Uh, you, you're superior. When you yell jump, then they yell how high. That's what it means to be great in the world. He goes on and says, and their great ones exercise authority over them. So, so the world's idea of greatness is lording it over them. It's being served by others, having people cater to you. The world's idea of greatness is being made much of by others others, having others admire you, look up to you, covet you. But in verse 43, Jesus says, but listen, that's not the way it is in the kingdom. Verse 43 says, it shall not be so among you. Jesus says in my kingdom, okay, which someday that will be the only kingdom, by the way, he says in my kingdom, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Jesus flips it around. He says, you know what? Your greatness in the kingdom is, is, is different than greatness in the world. Now, now, there's an implication in verse 43 I want to point out to you before I point out what it means to be great uh, in the kingdom. And that's it. It's not a wrong thing to want to be great. You see, because Jesus says in verse 43, shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great. Okay, so he's telling us how to be great. Now, if he's telling us how to be great, it's, it's not a bad thing, is it? 
In fact, I would say, and you've heard me say this before, I think there's something wrong with the Christian that says, I'm just going to be mediocre in the kingdom, okay? I'm not sure that that is a healthy attitude. I'm not sure that that's not sin, you know? I think to say, you know what, I'm going to be a mediocre prayer, you know? Uh, I'm, I, you know, I know other people pray lots and they pray effectively and, and then they get down on their knees and they pray fervently. But me, I'm just going to be your, your old kind of average prayer. Okay. Is that, is that a great thing? Does that glorify Jesus? Does Jesus look down and say, man, man, that guy, he really loves me. You know, he wants to be a mediocre prayer, you know, or who wants to be a mediocre Bible student or who wants to be a, a mediocre servant? You know, who wants to be the person that says, you know, here, here, I serve with laziness. You know, I mean, no, that, that doesn't honor Christ. I mean, the, the, the word of the Bible is, Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Exalt Jesus. You know, in, in everything that you do, lift up the name of Jesus. And we do that by doing it with zeal. So we should want to be great in the kingdom. But what does that mean? Well, Jesus is very clear. He says it means you be a servant of all. You be, you be last, not first, okay? He turns it upside down. You build others up, you know? Uh, greatness in the kingdom means you care for other people. You encourage other people. You bear burdens. You comfort. You relieve, uh, relieve burdens. You, you counsel. You carry the load of the discouraged. You build up the faint-hearted. You are the servant. You're, you're, you're the guy that's lifting people up, not the guy that's standing on top of people. And that's what it means to be great in the kingdom. And the reason is when you do that, you're being like Jesus. What did Jesus say at the, in the last verse there, verse 45? Even the Son of Man came to, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus said, that's who I am. You're to be like me. And, and, and when we say no to our selfish desires, when we say no to our flesh, when we say no to our wanting to be exalted and wanting others to serve us, wanting others to look up to us, and when we say no to those desires and we say yes to Jesus and we serve people, we, we are glorifying God. Well, we're being great in the kingdom. We're depending on the power of Christ. Our motive is to honor Christ. Our goal is to please Christ. And so it's okay to want to be great in that way. You know why? Because Jesus is in the middle of all of it. Does that make sense? You know, the person that that devotes their life to serving their church... And, and, and to building others up and to sending cards of encouragement and to, to, to doing the job that nobody else wants to do for the glory of Jesus and to honor Jesus because they love Jesus. That is a greatness that is wrapped around Jesus. It's a greatness that's wrapped around God. I want you to be exalted. I want you to be lifted up. And there is nothing wrong. In fact, there's everything right with that kind of greatness. Okay, but in, in, in Genesis chapter 11, let's go back. Okay, so the question was, is it, is it bad to, to want to be great? Well, no, it's not bad to be want to be great. But in Genesis chapter 11, it's not a greatness that's wrapped around God. It's a greatness that's wrapped around us. Okay, and that, that's a very different thing. There's something wrong with wanting to be great apart from God, apart from God's plan for you, apart from, from God's glory and God's kingdom and God's, God, God, God's worship, okay? There's something wrong with that when it's not about God or God's kingdom or God's people. It's simply about me, or in this case, us, then that's sin. That's pride. In Genesis chapter 11, their concern is what? To build a city and a tower that reaches to the heavens, okay? You know, when I was a kid, and and maybe you thought this too, and I don't know, I guess you could maybe read a little bit into that. I don't know exactly what their motive was. I always thought they were trying to get to heaven. You know, I always thought they were building this big tower and, you know, there was, if they thought if they could build it high enough, they'd just walk right in, you know, just kind of storm the gates of heaven, you know, get, get one of those deals and bang down the door, you know, I don't know. Maybe they thought I I did read some commentaries that said, you know, it could have been that 
that these folks and their religion, you know, this was a way to get to God, a way to, you know, uh, worship at the top there and, you know, feel like you're making your own way to God. And it, it could, there could be a lot of that there. But, you know, it also could be just man's attempt to say, look at us, okay? There, there's a lot of that in our world, isn't there? Just a flexing of muscles, displaying our technology, displaying our superiority, displaying our might. We, we looked at this. It's been really cool. And Team Kids, uh, Tony and Pastor Chris have been going right along with the Genesis series. And so we've been doing the same passages. And uh, uh, they got ahead of me this last week because last week we just talked about, you know, the, the, the second campus and the third service. And so, so we talked about the Tower of Babel this last week. And it was interesting, when I talked to my boys, I have the 5th and 6th grade boys, when I talked to them about how people today want to make a name for themselves, you know what? They all got it. I mean, sometimes they're just looking at me like, what? You know, but they all, I mean, they gave illustrations. You know, I, I talked to them, I said, hey, do you know guys in your school? Do you know people in your school? And they, they, they want to make a name for themselves. They, they want to show their greatness. You know, they're trying to display how they're better than everybody. And man, they saw, you know, I had to stop them because they start naming names. Yeah, you know, so-and-so. Yeah, I was like, no, 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 don't, don't say names, you know. Let's keep that down, you know. So they were even pointing across the room. Yeah, he does that all the time. You know, fifth and sixth grade boys are great. They have no regard for, you know, politeness at all. But, uh, but you know, they got that. They're like, yeah, you know, we know. You know, people, you know, we know we get people at school that they're, they're wanting to show their, they're wanting to show that they're better. And they're always trying to make much of themselves. And they're always bragging about themselves. And they're always putting themselves out there. I mean, they get that that is in us, okay? And that was in these people as well. They're, they're, not, they're not concerned about exalting God. They're not concerned about God's plan. They want people to look at them. We're going to build this city. And we're going to all unify together. And we're going to build this tower. When people see this thing, they're going to say, wow, those people are great. And the scary thing about Genesis 11 is you have mankind, for the most part, unified in this one desire. You see, that, that's, that's, that's the scary thing about Genesis 11. That's what gets God's attention. It, it, it's not... Well, notice, notice, notice verse 5. Uh, it, God has a sense of humor, by the way. Verse 5 says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. Do you see the humor in that? Do you, do you see the subtlety there? The Lord came down to see it. What does that mean? It's so small he can't see it from heaven, you know? <laughs> do, you, do you get that? I mean, he's got to come down to see it. When I mean, they're building this thing to the heavens, you know, in, the, in their minds. And, you know, Genesis 11 says, God had to come down to see it. You know, he's got to come down. I picture him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see it. Yeah. Yeah. Let me get my magnifying glass. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good job. Good job. You know, big tower. You know, I mean, it's a mocking thing there, isn't it? So the Lord, he goes down. He's not pleased. Okay. And he's not pleased because there's something dangerous about a united fallen humanity all working together in some God dishonoring pursuit. One people, one language. That's a big deal. It's a big deal to have one language. Uh, those of you who have traveled to places where you don't speak the primary language at a mission team in Guatemala, it's a big deal when you can't speak that language. And, and it is because you can't cooperate. It is painstakingly hard to try to do something together when you don't speak the same language. I swear there, there was this little place in, in the mountains of France. And I mean, it was, it was 10 minutes for me to communicate that we just wanted meat and potatoes. That's all we wanted, you know. I mean, literally. And we had this horrible, you know, uh, just, just problem trying to communicate this thing. We went back to the next day and uh, eggs, I guess, I guess the word for eggs is also a word for like water or 
maybe, I don't know, maybe even toilet as loud as they were laughing. I don't know. But, but I mean, it was just this, you know, and finally the lady had to make gestures about a chicken pooping out an egg, to, you know, so we could communicate. But I'm just thinking, this is not that hard. We just want eggs, you know. We just want, you know. But we can't work together. We got this 10-minute argument about trying to figure out what we, you know, just can you, can you cook us some eggs? I mean, it's, it's just hard when you don't speak the same language. Uh, much more so than the barriers of color or culture. I mean, when you don't speak somebody's language, it's very hard to, to work together. And so language is a big deal. And so we've got one language in the world at this time, and all the people are united around this one goal that is God dishonoring. And, and, and that, that's a dangerous thing. And so, so look, look at how God handles that. It says in verse 6, And the Lord said, Behold, there are one people and they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they'll do. Okay, he says, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. You know, I used to think of that as almost a threat. You know, I think I remember the first time I read that, I thought, it almost sounds like God's scared, you know? Almost sounds like they're building this tower and God's afraid they're really going to get up here, you know, to heaven. And man, what are we going to do then, you know? Uh, No, you know what he's saying? This this is not a God being threatened. Let let me read you some verses, all right? You'll you'll like these. Isaiah, uh, several of these are in Isaiah. Isaiah 43, um, Verse 11, I am the Lord, and besides me there's no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange uh, God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Henceforth, I am He. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I love this part. i got to underline my Bible. I work. Who can turn it back? I love that. Listen to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 15 through uh, 17. Behold, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. And are counted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted to him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? Man, God's not threatened by anybody, okay? I um, mean, he says, you put all the nations together, they're like dust, to me. They're like, they're like a drop in the bucket. He says, when I say something, nobody can turn it back. So it's not that God is threatened by these people in Genesis 11. God's showing mercy. He's saying, we got, we got these people who are united around this prideful, God-dishonoring goal. And if, if I let that go, it, they're going to destroy themselves again. I, I think what God's doing there is he's saying, man, I just destroyed the world. In Genesis chapter 9, and already they're, they're set on this path to, to, to completely ruin it again. And, and, and the dispersing of the nations is a way to hold back evil. You ever thought of it that way? You know, I mean, can you imagine what if, what if North Korea and China and Japan and France and Switzerland and Indonesia, what if they all work together? Okay, now, any one of those countries, go ahead and put the USA in for the most part, do not have God-honoring goals, do they? So what if they were all working together? Those of you who are end times people, what, what's going to happen in the end times? What's going to happen? It's going to be a one-world government, isn't there? That's what most, everybody agrees by that, about that. The, the, the world's going to kind of unify again in this one-world government, and it's going to be anti-God, okay? See, that was already happening in Genesis 11. God says, no, no. We're going to disperse the nations. I'm going to to scramble the languages so that you guys can't do this, so that you can't unite. Can you imagine? You know what's going to happen in the end times? If if you've read much about that, there's going to be this horrific persecution against the church. Well, you can see how that would happen if everybody... You know, right now, 
if, if, you're, if you're living in China and, and, and they crack down, there's a, you can maybe escape to South Korea or the United States or, you know, somewhere else, can't you? But what if, what if the world, whole world is united in this, this prideful anti-God purpose? That's a bad thing. And so, so God scrambles. He scrambles the, 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 uh, the languages and disperses the people. Now, I, I want to say something about Genesis 12, because I, I mentioned this this morning, but, but, but we didn't say much about it. In Genesis 11, they, they, want, to be, they want to make a great name for themselves, and, and, and it's completely wrong, it's completely sinful. But in Genesis 12, and, and you have to know the writer of Genesis, Moses is, is realizing this as he's writing it, God makes this great promise to Abraham that he's going to give him a great name. He says, I'm going to make your name great. That's, that's one of the promises to, to Abraham, okay? Now, now listen, Abraham's... Abraham's famous, okay? When you look at Abraham, he's famous. He was protected by God. He grew in strength. He grew in number. His family was divine blessed all throughout history, okay? Why is that a good thing and Genesis 11 a bad thing? Well, Abraham's not exalting himself. Abraham's exalting God, and God is exalting Abraham, okay? Important. That's, that's very important, incredibly important, okay? Abraham's not building a tower as a monument to himself. Abraham's building altars, okay, to God. I mean, we, we read that this morning, didn't we? Uh, when he gets into the, to Canaan, what's the first thing he does? Uh, verse 7 says, The Lord appeared to Abram and to your, said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he builds an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And then from there he moved to the hill country and on to east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on his east. And there he built an altar, another one, to the Lord. And he called upon the name of the Lord. What, what's Abraham building? He's building altars. He's not, he's not building towers as a monument to his greatness. He's building altars to worship the Lord. Okay? You see, his focus is, I want to make God's name great. And God comes right behind him and says, hey, I like that. I'm going to make your name great. Abraham's following God's plan. He's moving in God's direction. He's trusting God's word. Okay? Abraham's doing things that normally would diminish his wealth and his fame. Wait, he's leaving his family. He's leaving his business. He's leaving his culture. He's leaving his safety and security. He's trusting God. He's going to a land where he's a stranger, where everybody's against him. Okay, Trusting God to be his protection. So, so Abraham gets great. By following God, humbling himself, yielding to God, no matter what the plan is, and God exalts him. Okay, now, talked about promises this morning, didn't we? I'm going to give you one. Are you ready? You ready? What are you going to do with it? Okay, we talked this morning, promises of God. Are you going to believe it? And if you're going to believe it, then is your life going to move toward it? Okay, here it is. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. What does it look like to clothe yourselves with humility toward one another? It means to, to think of others before yourself. It means to, to, to be for other people, to do things, to, to encourage and build up their life. Okay, you ready? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now the next verse, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, you see it? He may exalt you. That's making your name great, isn't it? That he may exalt you, okay? You, you see the difference there? Key at the proper time, in God's time, in God's way, in a way that's good for your soul, God will exalt you. He'll make your name great. But where does that begin? It begins by humbling yourself, okay? There, there's the promise. You humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he, he'll lift you up. He'll exalt you. But the key is, our goal and our aim is to make Jesus' name great. And it's great, isn't it? 
Jesus' name is great. Philippians chapter 2, I like this. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Acts 4.12 There's no there's salvation in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which must we must be saved. Folks, our business is making the name of Jesus great. How can you do that in your workplace? Because sometimes making the name of Jesus great is going to maybe make you look silly. Is that true? It is true sometimes, right? Sometimes when you exalt the name of Jesus, the world thinks you're, you're foolish. Sometimes when you honor the name of Jesus, you, you do things that, that cause you to some difficulty and some trouble. Okay, But here, here's the promise. Come back to the promise. Christ will lift you up. God will exalt you. God, God will make your name great. Our focus should be on making the name of Jesus great. So, God confuses the language. They separate in groups that can't understand each other. 6,809. I don't know if that's an accurate figure, but somebody had it. Languages in the world. Wow, huh? All because of Genesis chapter 11. All because it is very dangerous for us to be prideful. Let's pray together. Father, I, I pray, God, that you'd help us to humble ourselves and, and to be completely focused on, on exalting the name of Jesus. God, help us to exalt the name of Jesus through serving one another, uh, through honoring each other, through clothing ourselves with humility as, as, we, uh, as we go about our lives. God, help us to, to be constantly focused on what we can do to make Jesus' name great in our conversation, in our hearts, in our, our minds, in our TV watching, in our, our relationships. God, in our worship, let us exalt the name of Jesus. And Father, we trust that you'll, you'll, you'll do what's best for us. You'll exalt us in the proper time and in the proper way. Father, we pray that just like Abraham, that you would make us great, great in the kingdom, God. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.